Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles again to Psalm 46. That will be the text we'll analyze this morning. And let's pray one final time asking God's help on this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can stay our minds on you and that you are our source of peace and rest, especially in the midst of a world that is chaotic and, and nothing but peaceful at many times. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, might it go forth in a way that is true and helpful and, and edifying. May your spirit come and meet us this morning uh, that we go away transformed for the better. In Jesus' name, amen. On Tuesday, October 31st, it will mark 506 years since Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on that door at the church there, All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. That uh, act that he didn't know at the time was going to revolutionize his life and, and really the, the, West, the rest of Western history and the history of the world. That he, he gave that act not uh, so much to start a revolution, not, not to change the world, but, but as he was studying the scriptures, he, he found some issues, particularly with the sale of indulgences that were going on, that people were uh, being told by church leaders that they could pay a certain amount of money and then they would be uh, forgiven of sin or their dead loved ones would be forgiven of sin. And Luther didn't find this teaching in the Bible. And so, as was common in the day, he would post his theses and he wanted a, a, an academic dispute about this. But he got way more than an academic uh, dispute. In fact, he got the attention of, of, of high church leaders, including eventually the Pope. And as Luther studied the scriptures, he had more than just a problem with indulgence with the teaching of the Catholic Church of the day. And most importantly, and, and, and now we know, is it was Luther came to believe the Bible taught that we are saved by faith alone, apart from works. So he began to teach. He began to write about these things, and he got the attention of the church. And the Pope of the day issued a papal bull telling uh, Luther to recant these writings, to let them go, uh, to, to renounce them, to stop teaching this. And, and by the year of 1521, this would have been uh, four years later, he got the attention of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire at the time, Charles V. And so now he has two of the most uh, and politically powerful people in the world out against him. And Charles V calls a diet, a council, in, in Worms, or Worms in German, where Luther is to give an account for his writings and to, and to uh, recant them in front of the emperor. And so here is Luther going to this event. And, and we're on the other side of this, and, and we think, you know, maybe Luther just busted in there and was ready to be a revolutionary, but that's not the case. 
that as he's going to this, it's a very a serious time, an important time in his life, because he, he knows uh, his life is on the line as he comes to this event. In fact, he may recall about a hundred years earlier, a man by the name of John Huss was called to a similar council to give an account because he was criticizing the church over the use of indulgences. And he was promised safe passage to and from uh, this council, like Luther. But when he got there, he was arrested and burned at the stake. So the stakes were high for Luther, we might say. And we're told in this distressing situation, on this way to this diet where he will give an account for these teachings and he doesn't know the result, he wrote that hymn that we all know, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And that hymn is based on Psalm 46. And we learn that Psalm 46 was Luther's favorite psalm. That in, in distressing times, he would often tell his colleague Melanchthon, Come, Melanchthon, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And so Luther found in this Psalm a, 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 a solid ground to stand on in distressing times. That God is his refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So that same solid foundation, that same comfort that Luther got from this psalm, I want us to find that today as well. In Psalm 46, this psalm asserts God's power over the earth amidst physical and political tumult, which serves to protect his people. I think that's the point of this psalm. Psalm 46 asserts God's power over the earth amidst physical and political tumult, which serves to protect his people. So each part of that sentence will be the headings by which we analyze this psalm. So first there on your outline, physical and political tumult. The world we live in is a dangerous place at times. It's filled with all sorts of tumult and chaos. And first we see physical tumult that is described for us. The Bible doesn't shy away from the difficulty that living in this world often brings to us. It tells us in verse 2, we won't fear. Though the earth gives way, or, or the earth moves or shakes. It's almost like an earthquake is being described here. That the earth is shaking. What's the result of this? And mountains are moving or mountains are toppling into the heart of the sea. That the earth is so chaotic That there are these tectonic and tumultuous shifts occurring. That mountains are being moved into the sea. There is nothing really more physically stable in in our world than a mountain. That it, it, you know, maybe you went as a young kid to the Rocky Mountains, and if you went back later on in life, it would look the same. It didn't move because it's a mountain. The mountains don't move generally. But here we have 
a picture of, of mountains being toppled into the heart of the sea. Can you imagine seeing this with your eyes and the fear and the awe that this would induce in your heart? And the, the water, the sea, verse 3, is roaring and foaming. As a, as a lion roars over its prey, the sea is roaring. It's foaming. It's, it's boiling. It's bubbling. It is not peaceful. It is raging. And, and, and so much that the mountains, these high, stable things, are trembling at this shifting tumultuous sea. And this, this picture is one of many kinds of fear-inspiring natural phenomena that occur in our world. Maybe, you, maybe you've lived uh, through a hurricane. Very powerful storms that do massive amounts of destruction. The same with tornadoes, as we've seen in, in, in recent weeks and years. Earthquakes can, can, can destroy cities and towns and even parts of nations in a matter of seconds. And, and we can look at these and, and be afraid. Maybe you've been stuck in a sun, thunderstorm and you can be afraid at the power of the natural phenomenon. And the point here is that the natural world can be very unsafe and very uncertain. And there's much in the natural world that's, that's out of whack. It's, and it threatens our existence at times. But then, uh, beyond the physical tumult, we have political tumult. Verse 6. Nations rage. Is that still true today? Do nations rage? Do kingdoms topple? Same word here as the mountains toppling the sea. We have kingdoms toppling that, that nations uh, seek to, to extend their borders, to extend their rivalries, and they, they, they attack one another for their various reasons. There's all sorts of raging and conflict, and some kingdoms come and some kingdoms go, and on and on. The history of the world is one of nations raging and conflict occurring. Think of all the war and conflict that has happened since this psalm has been written. We don't know exactly when it was written, but in the time of the Old Testament, maybe shortly after the time of David, this psalm was about to see the, the, the rise of the Assyrians and the, the massive destruction they would do. The, the, the Babylonians were going to come. The destruction they did to Jerusalem, they, they destroyed the temple. We think of the campaigns of, of Alexander the Great. We think of the Roman Empire. On and on and on, even to our day, in our current uh, reality of, of war in our world. The nations are still raging. Kingdoms are still toppering. This world is not a safe place. And that, that chaos is heightened in our day by, by the advance in military technology that uh, 
there are capacities, we have technological capacities to destroy nations in a matter of minutes. That's a sobering thought. And that can be a fear-inducing thought when you think about all of the potential harm that could come to us. And we see harm going on. We think of wars in, in Israel, war in Ukraine, and all of the horrific devastation that is occurring. Nations are raging. And often the rage of the nations can be against God's people. That this, this psalm alludes to Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves against the anointed one. The, the nations plot together against God. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the kingdoms of the world often conspire together and use their power to silence and persecute God's people. And and this may be a small matter of of just uh, seeking to keep people from from asserting their beliefs about biblical views on, on marriage and sexuality. Or, or it could lead to even, in, in some nations where Christians are, are martyred, they're killed. So the nations rage. This is an age of war and conflict. It's not a safe world. It is filled with all manner of physical and political tumult. And we live in this world. And it's very easy amidst all this tumult and all this shaking and shifting to also fear ourselves. Which is why moving to our second point here, we must see God's sovereignty and power over this chaos. The psalmist invites us in verse 8, Come, behold, come, see the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. The the psalmist invites us to see God's power, see God's strength over this chaos. And so although this physical and political tumult causes awe in us, God's power over it must inspire greater awe in our hearts. Look at the contrast between the first half of verse 6 and the second half of verse 6. This is an amazing contrast. Nations rage. Kingdoms totter. We have all this raging. We have all this tumult. We have all this chaos. He, God, utters his voice. The earth melts. That amidst all of this conflict, all of this war, all of this physical, natural disaster, and and we can stand in that and think, I am helpless. There's nothing I can do to stop any of this. And God simply lifts his voice and it melts the earth. That's amazing power. That God doesn't need to summon the armies of heaven to stop this conflict. He doesn't grab his his sword and spear and and seek to fight in a long, drawn-out conflict. No, he simply lifts his voice and the conflict stops. 
The earth melts. So see God's power over the political chaos, that although that political chaos may seem powerful and insurmountable to us, all God needs to do is simply lift his voice and it ceases. The earth melts. All the raging, all the fury, all the boasting that these nations thought they had, Yahweh simply gives a, uh, uh, an utterance of his voice and melts it all. See God's power, his sovereignty over this tumult. Verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. What's the point here? God is sovereign over the starting and stopping of all war. It is a small thing for God to lift his voice and stop the conflict. It tells us at the end of verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is the ruler of this earth. And God's righteous reign will be fully acknowledged one day. So mysteriously, he allows conflict and raging to, to occur in our world. But one day, all of that will cease. And it will be a small thing for God to do that. And the good news for the people of God, if you are a child of God this morning, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, is that you have all of this power and sovereignty of God working for your good. So recall at the beginning how I said that this psalm asserts God's power over the earth amidst physical and political tumult, which serves to protect his people. Which moves us to our, our last heading, and this is the bigger heading. This is the most important of them all, which is God's protection. That weaved into this psalm, Amidst all the tumult and chaos is the reality that God protects his people and they can confidently trust him. This is why Spurgeon called this psalm the song of holy confidence. Despite all the shifting ground pictured here, there is a solid place of refuge for God's people. And that place of refuge is in God himself. So God is a place of refuge amidst all of this tumult. And maybe you're here this morning and say, I don't need to be reminded of the, the chaotic nature of this world. I, I watched the news this morning. But maybe your, your chaos is, is not even beyond your, your, your house. It's in your life. It's, it's, it's your, your work issues. You, you, you have the pain of, of relationship problems. Your own battle with sin. 
The, the, the war inside of you of the tumult of fighting constantly, fear and anxiety. And you'd like to not remember that today. But, but it's important that as we, we enter this last uh, section that you pay attention. That, that you give heed because God cares about all the chaos and tumult that we experience and particularly as it relates to us seeking to be faithful to him. He wants us to have a holy confidence that he is with us and he will protect us. So let's see God's protection that's given to us as his children in this psalm. Look at verse 1. This is the the theme of the psalm, the thesis of the psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A refuge is a place of shelter, a place of safety. Maybe you were stuck in a storm and you you found shelter in your car or in your house or in a pavilion. It's a place of refuge, a place of protection amidst uh, chaotic things going on outside. So I heard one... A pastor say one time he was in Chicago at the airport. And while he was in the airport, this massive storm system went through. And it shut down every flight. And and no one was going anywhere. And so he said, "I, I was amazed that all of this was going on outside the airport. And I'm sitting comfortably with my laptop and my cup of coffee, uh, working peacefully away. And that that reminds us of the place of refuge that God is to us. That that the world outside may, may be chaotic and tumultuous. But if we find our refuge in God, it's a place of shelter, it's a place of peace, it's a place of protection. God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is our power. And our might. We, we are very weak creatures. You feel weak? The world can wear us out. Where do we find strength? It's in God, our strength. Third, a very present help in in trouble, or put another way, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. God is our helper. And, And where is he found? He's found at the point that he's most needed, which is when we're in trouble, when we're in distress. And in fact, it's interesting that it's when we're in distress and trouble, that's when we feel that maybe God is the most distant to us. But this psalm says that it's particularly in those times of distress that God is found. He is a helper who is always found in times of trouble. He's not maybe found. He's not found in times past, but may not be there in the future. No, he's always found in our trouble to come and to help us. To strengthen us. 
to, to assist us, to be with us, whatever our distress or tribulation is coming upon us. So God's protection is for us as a place of refuge, as strength, and as help. Moving on in the psalm, we, we see more of God's help to us in verse 4. That verse 2 and 3 describe this tumultuous and tectonic shifts. The, the earth is shaking, the, the mountains are tottering, the, the sea is, is foaming and boiling. And then there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's a contrast, and you can hear it in my voice, and you can see it in the text of this raging and, and chaos and this peace and joy and serenity. That verses uh, 2 and 3, they picture this fallen world, the kingdom of man. In the kingdom of, of this world, mountains topple, seas boil, but in the kingdom of God, there's no such tempestuous sea. There's no such a toppling of mountains. There is a quiet, peaceful, flowing river that brings life and strength and happiness to the city of God. And what makes this city different? Why does this city have such peace? Well, God is with this city. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Once again, same verb as the toppling mountains. The city of God will not be toppled. The city of God doesn't shift like the mountains in this world's kingdom. It will never be toppled. It will never be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. In that dark night of distress and and uncertainty, as the morning dawns, God is there to help. And so we have pictured for us the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world is one of a physical and political chaos and tumult and raging war. But the kingdom of God is one of peace and security and prosperity and joy. The streams make glad the city of God. Amidst all the raging and conflict and war, the people of God in the kingdom of God are glad because they have the presence of God and the help of God. As John Wesley's dying words were, the best of all is God is with us. Why can we have peace? Why can we prosper and be happy, be joyful? Amidst a tempestuous world? Because God is with us. And He is our help. And He is our joy. So that's God's protection. What are the implications for us in this psalm? 
This psalm is simply not a treatise on God's power. It's a weapon of warfare for the believer to equip him or her to live in holy confidence in God in this tumultuous world. And the psalm itself gives us the application. It gives us the exhortation. It told us in verse 8 to come and see, which we've done. We've seen God's power. In verse 10, it tells us to be still and know that I am God. This is a famous Bible verse. Maybe you memorized this. Maybe you memorized the whole psalm. This is an interesting term here. It's translated elsewhere in the Bible as uh, to be alone, to be feeble, to be helpless, to sink. The, the New American Standard says, a cease striving. You could say, stop. Or, or what I think is a, a perfect uh, rendition of this world surrender. Lay down your arms. You know, we all have this conflict and raging. Stop. Be still. Let, let go. Hands up. And know that I am God. The, the point here is to stop our worrying. Stop our striving. To be still before God amidst all the tumult. That it's tempting amidst the chaos to be running around, frittering about, feeling like oh, we must take action. We, we can't stop. Uh, I'm all worried. As, as the, the worrier paces the floor, our minds, our bodies feel like I need to be moving. But God says, stop. And it's not idle stopping. We're stopping for recalibration because this world can knock us out of whack. And we need to stop and, and know God and, and see his perspective, see, see his view, see where he is in this midst, and that will help us to better engage in this chaos. We see the chaos. We see the catastrophe. We, we see these fear-inducing threats. And we are tempted to, to worry and fear. This world can bring so much worry in our hearts and in our lives. And you may be tempted to drown yourself in your busyness to, to try to ignore uh, your larger worry and concern. Overcome with the, these tumultuous emotions. I think of the prophet Elijah. Here is Elijah, this great prophet of God, on Mount Carmel. And, and, and God does something amazing that he shows his power so miraculously in, in, in consuming the, the offering that Elijah built there. And it seemed that the people were going to turn to the Lord what a great time. And then almost immediately after this event, the Queen Jezebel says, I, I'm going to kill you. And I'm under the oath from the gods to do this. And that sends Elijah into all sorts of uh, uh, emotions, an emotional roller coaster. 
And, and, and God lets him go a little bit. He, he's tired. He, let, he, he just feeds him. He's patient with him. And then God takes him up on the mountain. And God, God has an earthquake. God sends fire. God, God sends the wind. And we're told that the Lord wasn't with the wind. God wasn't speaking to him in there. But what was the purpose of all that? It was to shake this uh, mental uh, mindset that the prophet had to still him. And then God spoke to him in a still, quiet voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? And God recalibrates him. All have not gone to Baal. There are 7,000 that haven't Baal, bowed to Baal. And, and your work isn't done. So, so stop this cycle of thoughts, and here is what you need to do. And that's the exhortation to us in, in this psalm, that, that <clears throat> it's telling us, quit frittering about. Quit, quit going about those cycles in your head of those devastating thoughts which lead to your anxiety and depression. Maybe you are unnecessarily burying yourself in your work or busyness of activities amidst the threat against you and the stresses and anxieties of life. God's exhortation to you is be still. Stop. Cease striving. Surrender. And know that I am God. Stop worrying about all that you're worrying about and, and, and fix your eyes on God. He is God. He's the one that controls all of this physical tumult. He controls the mountains and the seas and the winds. He's the one that controls all physical conflict in the midst of all national war. All that all God has to do is utter his voice and the earth will melt. And if God is, is sovereign over all of those worldwide tumultuous physical and political tumults, isn't God sovereign over our lesser concerns? Our lesser causes of fear and anxiety? So what do we do? Maybe you, you've, you've, you've had a discouraging conversation with your boss in the past week or so. Your job is, is on the line. What do I do? How do I, how do I pay my bills? I thought this was a good career. It's not going well. Your mind begins to, what's, what's the exhortation here? Be still and know that I am gone. Maybe you've gotten some, some health diagnoses lately that are discouraging. and You have all sorts of questions of how is this going to pan out and what's going to happen and is there a cure and, and will, will, did we catch this in time? What are we supposed to do in those moments? Be still and know that I am God. And all other, whatever is causing you anxiety, God tells us to be still before Him and remember who He is. 
That God says at the end of verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's the supreme concern of God, His exaltation, and that should be our supreme concern as well. So whatever happens as the result of our conflicts and causes of fears, God will be exalted in the earth. He will fulfill all His plans. And if you are aligned with Him, those plans include for you forever joy in the city of God. So the exhortation is very clear as it tells us in verse 2. We will not fear. There is nothing to fear. Because our sovereign God is with us as our help, as our refuge, as our strength. That this psalm does not shy away from the harsh and fear-inducing realities of this world. Yet for the child of God, we don't have to live in fear. So when you are faced with great trouble and distress, you can come to this psalm and recall the great works of our God. Use this psalm. Use the truth in this psalm about God to still your soul. Quiet your heart. There's a refrain in verse 11 and in verse 7. It's the same refrain. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Calvin says of this, our faith can be fixed firmly in God when we truly rest in these two divine attributes. His immeasurable power by which he can subdue the world. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. God has all power. And secondly, his fatherly love declared in his covenantal word to Abraham. He is the God of Jacob. God is all-powerful, but also He is our God, and He is our Heavenly Father. So in Christ, God is with you, God is for you, and you can be confident and trust in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that despite how clear your word tells us of your sovereign power and control and your goodness to us as your children, that we still often fritter about in our fears, in our worries. We confess our sin before you now, asking that you cleanse us with the blood of your Son. And we pray that we would find greater confidence and trust in you, our God, our refuge and strength and our helper. In Jesus' name, amen.